Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. This is your first time with us. My name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. And we do want to pray for Jay this morning. Uh, those of you who come here regularly know we're helping another fellow church out up the street, up in North Myrtle Beach, Little River area. And so our preaching team is kind of keeping that going while uh, we work up there to get things uh, healthy where we can find them a pastor. And so Jay is preaching up there this morning and he's actually launching a new series for them. And so we're going to pray for Jay, lift him up this morning, and uh, and then we'll jump into our our sermon here. Father, thank you so much for Jay. Thank you uh, for Renovation Vineyard Church, and we pray for them this morning. We pray your presence there as they gather to worship you. We pray, Lord, for Jay, our brother, and uh, we pray that you would uh, fill him with your presence and your spirit, Lord, that you would speak through him, through your word, bring it alive to Jay, alive to this church, Lord, encourage them. Father, and uh, we thank you today, Lord, that uh, we can support one another, Lord, as we walk together with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we are in, uh, I, I, I don't even know if I can call this a series. I guess it is a series, you know, because we, we are, or you would think we'd never end and you would go, oh no, we're in the eternal series, you know, forever. <laughs> but we will, bring it, we will bring it to a close and, and then we'll move to another section of emphasis maybe in this whole topic of, I would call it health, and that is emotional health. Because really, it's very difficult to be healthy spiritually when we're not healthy emotionally. Because we have this, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus at all. It just means that the only grid we have to filter life through and what we experience is what we've experienced. And so what we want to do is we, you know, our, our journey as followers of Jesus is we want to be as healthy as we, can, as we can get. Because we want to be as spiritually fit as we can be. And, uh, and so that's what this series has been, and I've been calling it Family Dis, D-I-S, Function. I know you spell dysfunction with a Y, okay, but it's down low because, uh, you know, we just, uh, anyway, it was a way to get your attention. And, um, and so we're in the third week of this, and um, it's not a surprise to any of us that our families of origin where we were raised and all, we bring the good, the bad, and the ugly with us. And uh, it comes with us many times, and we don't want it, some of it, and, but we suddenly sh- see it showing up in our lives at times when we, we go, man, I don't know why this jumps out of my life the way it does. I, you know, I know where this is coming from, but it's a part of me. And uh, it, uh, then we come to Jesus. You know, we have these things happening, and then we come to Jesus, and... and uh, and we get this new revelation of God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And we think, oh man, I'm a child of God. Uh, I'm, you know, I've got this new spiritual DNA in me. And, and certainly all of that is true. Your new creation, behold, you know, the old has passed away. And the new has come in Christ. But, you know, and you may get by for a few days. I mean, I got by for about three hours. 
you know, of, of honestly, I, I don't think I sinned for three hours. I, 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 th- I think it was just a just beautiful reprieve of, of God's glory and grace. And I remember leaving class at UNC Charlotte one day, and I'm going back to our apartment. And, uh, and I remember thinking, I got this thing whipped, man. You know what? I'm doing pretty good, you know? And, and, and the minute you think that, then suddenly your humanity comes immediately onto the scene, right? Something suddenly, hello, yeah. And, and, and so we become Christians, and then some of us get very discouraged, you know, early on, or maybe even years later in our Christianity, in our faith, because we think, I was promised so much if I came to Jesus. I was promised a whole entire new life, and I was promised that this and that and depending on where you went to church and what you listened to when you were first a Christian in some ways you were promised the world really right lots of things and and then suddenly life met you head on and you went sometimes you go either I'm doing something wrong or God hates me which one is you know what is happening here and so you know my desire as a pastor has always been in the church is for us to and this is for me too, you know, for all of us to kind of grow up together in Christ. For us to mature in our faith and mature in our walk with God. To be able to walk in life through the hard spots and the losses. And still see the joy of our salvation in it. And to still be the salt of the earth. And still be the light that's on the hill. To be that city on the hill. So that people can see that there is hope for one another. And I don't mean some fake you know, pie in the sky, hyper-religious, but I mean a sincere, deep love for God that transcends anything that we go through in life. And there's still this sense of love and joy and, 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 and almost a, a sense of, uh, what's the word, coming home. Maybe that's it. That there's a centeredness in my life that I know I'm okay with God. I know I'm all right. And then out of that comes our behavior and out of that comes our learning to walk anew and afresh as Christians and God gives us his Holy Spirit and he teaches us he empowers us he helps us along the way he gives us the church our friends around us and to help one another and so we're on our way but you know behold all things have become new they have become new in the sense that we're good with God that Scripture says that, you know, we are seated, this metaphor, this picture of being seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father right now. We're with Him. If you're a Christian, you are His. You're in His hands right there. But then we live here. (laughs) And we're like, I'm still flesh and blood. You know, this thing is still acting up on me. And how do I, and this is a beautiful thing. You know, this is a gift from God. Who you are, your body, you know, who you are, and all of it is a gift from God to you. It's not evil. It's these inclinations, you know, that we seem to have been born into and on. So family is a big part of, of this. Family is a big part of who we are and, and why we do what we do. Then you become a Christian and you come across a scripture. You come across a scripture like Proverbs 22.6. Probably some of you parents, you know that scripture? You know Proverbs 22.6? Let's put it up there on the screen. Let's look at it. Do you know this one? Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. 
mean, you get that scripture out of Proverbs. Now, those of you who weren't raised in church and don't know this, I'm going to teach you a lesson here. Some of us, some of us got that early on when we were parents, and some of you got it when you were kids. And uh, I got, we got it when we were parents because I wasn't a Christian until in my 20s. And so, you know, we got that. And I was taught that that was a promise. That was a promise. Trade them up in the... See, that's not a promise. That's a proverb. Do you get it? It's a proverb. Now, this is your fill-in. You flip it over on the other side. And, and that's what the first fill-in is. Proverb, not a promise. Now, stick with me. Don't get bummed out yet. You know, don't go, darn it. You know, just hang, hang with me. Hang with me. I mean, it's a statement of... To me, a fact. And that is that whatever you put there in them, they can't get away from it. It's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. It is. But how many of you know great kids who came from very sorry parents? And how many of you know sorry kids who came from great parents? I mean, right? It happens. So if you've been sold this thing, that Proverbs is a promise to you, you can get very confused. And worse than confused, you can get guilt-ridden and you can feel piled on spiritually. You can feel like, you know, I did everything I knew to love my kids spiritually. And, to... and then they made a choice, you know. They, they went a different direction. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? How could I? And then we're burdened with that for most of our lives. And, and we feel like we can't make up for it. And I want to tell you, dear friends, that that is not a promise. There are different types of literature in the Bible. And reading the scripture, it helps to know what kind of literature you're reading at the time. And so this type of literature, Proverbs, there's all kind of pithy statements and one-off statements all through Proverbs that are awesome. And I read them regularly. And they're great. But this is not saying that if you raise your kids what you think to be perfect, they will be perfect. You know, uh, early on, we were taught that, this is probably 20th century, so those of you who don't even know what that was, <laughs> and that's antiquated, hang with me, Okay. But some of us were taught that your kid comes into the world like with a clear slate. Right? They are malleable. They're like, there's, there is, they're just as innocent and, you know, they're under your command. And whatever you want to create in them. And, and so we start, you know, we, we really believe that. You know, we, we start putting like, He's going to be an artist. You know, so we start, you know, he's going to be, oh man, pressing, pressing, pressing. He's, he's going to be like, he's going to be into the sports. So I'll take him to 47 different sports on the weekend. Because who knows what he'll excel at. Probably all of them. And it'll be difficult for little Johnny because everybody wants him at age seven to go into the NFL and the NBA. And, and so we'll just take him. Take them and take them and take them and we'll, we'll do all we can. And, you know, or, or they're going to love surfing. Yes, they will. And my daughter's scared to even go in the ocean, you know. And so, uh, here, you know, here it is. Surf, I mean, we do this. We think it's 
that our kids are a, bl- a blank slate, but they're not. I used to take a, years ago, I would take a, like a Ken doll, and I would coat it in clay. And I want to say our kids are more like this. You know, they come to us with a certain shape. But inside of each of them is this beautiful work of art in there. But we don't know exactly what it is. And our job is to start kind of peeling off the clay. I wish somebody had taught me this when my kids were little. I'd learned this a little late. But started peeling off the clay and started discovering what it was that was inside of them that really excited and, and gave them joy. And then help mold and help guide them in that direction to what we saw, you know, what we, what we discovered inside of each child. Because each child is different. Each one. I grew up believing you treated every single child the same. You disciplined them the same, right? But one discipline doesn't work same doesn't work for all of them because they're all different ridiculously frustratingly different and here we are in our own immature emotional state as parents we were 23 and 24 when our kids first child was born and you know here we are love them on fire for Jesus and love them and doing everything we know to do to love them and care for them and all but they were not a blank slate coming into this world. They weren't. Proverbs 22.6 is not the prompt. And some of us, I claim this scripture. We memorized this scripture. We prayed it. And I'm not saying you don't do that. But I'm just saying don't get upset with God. Okay. If you have challenges with your kid. All right. Don't get upset with him. I mean, he's having problems with you. So, you know. <laughs> Just kind of, you know, kind of chill it, dial it back just a little bit. He's a good father, right? He's patient, he's kind, and he's sticking with you. And uh, he's not going to bail out on you. And so, you know, it's a proverb. It's not a, it's not a promise. Has anybody actually read the book Jurassic Park? You, do you remember how that book opens up? There's this statement about chaos theory. Yeah, and you know, it always, it's about the only thing I remember exactly from, well, the ending's different than the movie and stuff too, but, but you need to read the book. And, uh, but, you know, he makes a comment in there as he sets up the whole story that there are too many variables, basically, to predict an outcome. Because there are so many moving parts and pieces and things that are going on around that uh, you, we, we want everything so linear and so clear-cut and uh, I think it's beautiful because it, it puts us in a position of faith and trust in God. To know that he loves and cares and he knows us from the minute we were conceived to the moment we'll be with him. He knows every part of it. He knows every part of the journey so it causes me to lean even more so into him. Because there is no chaos to God. None of it. I mean he sees it all clearly. And so it causes me to lean into him. It doesn't cause me, you know, problems. And so... Uh, you know, there are so many things going on. And yes, parents, we play a huge role in our children's lives. Absolutely. But I want you to know that you're not the only influence in their life at all. I, I was looking. You guys know who Tyler Perry is? And have you ever heard his life story? It's all over the Internet. And you can go if you don't want to pay Oprah's fee to get on YouTube. You can sketch it out in different places. And, uh, and watch it or you can read about it. But Tyler Perry, man, went through it. His life was hell growing up. 
No, but he kept holding on to what his mom said. He saw his mother's faith. And he kept, I mean, he was abused. He was beat. It was just horrible. He had to hide in a hole underneath his house at times. Where he would dream, you know, of the way the world could be. And, but he said he held on to the faith of his mom. He saw the faith that she had and he held on to it. And it's just a fascinating story of someone who was raised in absolute horror. But who turned out, you know, fairly pretty good. You know? <laughs> I mean, and, and he has, it sounds to me, all the interviews I've listened to, which were quite a lot over the last week, and read, he's got a pretty solid faith deep within him. And so, and I've known people when I used to, especially when I used to do jail ministry and all, I know, I've known people who did, who had wonderful parents and who did everything they could, could to help and then, made bad choices and went the wrong direction. And so, you know, I just, I want to reiterate, there's a lot more going on. And the Bible is absolutely, I said this when we started this series, the Bible is a reality check when it comes to family mess. Because it does not pull any punches. None. God doesn't try to pull, he's not doing a bait and switch on you. He's not saying, oh, come to me and everything's going to be rosy and all. He says, come to me and I'll help you because there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges in this life. But you're my child now. You belong to me. You have a new parent now. And I have resources you've never had before. And I want to give them to you and help you to lean into me. And let me help you grow up. Let me help you with this. But it doesn't pull any punches. In the Old Testament... If you get over in the old, especially like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you start seeing this just list of it's basically fathers, sons, fathers, sons, fathers, sons. All these kings. I think it goes on for 450 years or something like this. Down just a list. And uh, let's throw, that, throw this little chart up. Just look at the. Don't worry about the names, but look at the colors. You know what the colors are. The green are the kings who did right. The pink are the kings who did evil. But these are fathers, sons, fathers, sons, fathers, sons, fathers, sons, all the way down. And the yellow are those who started out really well, but didn't end up so well. Now the Bible, God didn't have to put that in there. <laughs> You know, he didn't have to say, yeah, Israel and Judah, you know. And it didn't go so well for them sometimes, you know. To me, that is just a picture of God saying, look, people. You know, you guys have a challenge here and I want to help you with this. I'm coming to redeem and to buy back. And this is your second fill-in is that this, is, this, this pattern here is not permanent. It is not permanent. And I'm going to show you in just a minute. It's not. It's not permanent. And the pattern in your life. Whatever you see in your life. Does not have to be permanent. It does not have to hijack your life. It does not have to hijack your kids. Your friends. Your grandkids. It does not have to put you. Over into this green area. Or this pink area. You can be in the green. You can be in the green. In 2 Chronicles 27.2, let's just talk about one or two. It says, 
Jotham is who he's talking about, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. And, uh, and there are two kings there who did right, Uzziah and Jotham. But then look right behind this in 2 Chronicles 28.1. Ahaz. Okay, we got a granddad, a dad, and now a son. Right? And here comes this grandson, this son of the two who did right. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, I find this really interesting. It didn't name his dad. It names his I think it's 12 times ahead, great-granddad, who did so good, right? Because they're not even going to give him much credit for this. But they're going to say, great, 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 great. Was that 12? Granddads, you know, David did not do right like King David did. And he reigned in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this tells me one thing. There is, this is hope. There is no determinism. In this lineage. Like you, if you came out of a bad situation. If you look back at your life. And you think man. I, if I could have chosen. To have been born in any other situation. I would have. Look that doesn't determine. Who you have to be now. Does it have an influence on you? There will be somehow. I don't know how. But it's there. You know here's another thing. When we get our kids. What we don't see is that. Us, grandparents and all, it won't go through this, but there's a bleeding through. There's a bleeding through into the next generation that has to be dealt with. You don't come in a blank. You come in with some of the ink from the previous generations in your life. You come in with it. There's good in that too, right? There's good in that. You, you get all kind of good from that, but there's also struggle in that. But that's a, the pattern is not permanent. It does not have to be permanent at all. There's no determinism in this. You are not destined to have to repeat the sins of your father's fathers and mothers and all. And you don't have to. You don't. Now Ahaz was a really bad person who came from a good dad and a good granddad. And you know there's a, there's a lot of. I mean, he actually sacrificed his own children and other children, Ahaz did. It was despicable. And one pastor pointed out, out from this scripture, uh, said that there's a lot of lies out there about Christianity and, and how Christianity looks at children and women. And I, I want to tell you, there's a lot of lies out there about Christianity. God has always been for children, for women. Jesus, there was, I mean, Jesus uses children as, a, as an example of what we're supposed to be like in the kingdom of God, right? Who did he go in to meet? And he, or some of his best friends with him were women. Paul did the same thing. And so this evil that Ahaz did with his children was despicable. It was horrible. His dad did nothing like that. His granddad did nothing like that. It was horrible. And I mean, God says in Jeremiah 7.31, here's, he says this. They have built the high places. High places were where the false, they would worship the uh, false gods and put the idols up on these places on the mountains. And then the people would slink off over there and they would worship the false gods. And it was despicable to God. And so here's what 
the prophet, speaking for God, says, They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Hinnon. This is where they threw the garbage out. Where the garb- it burned all the time. Valley of Hinnon to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Listen to what God says. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. Didn't even enter God's mind. Anything like that. So critics that jump all over Christianity want to say, Oh, you guys are awful, whatever. You need to... Re- Most people have not read this. All right? Have not read what really is going on. Then Jesus in Matthew 18, we know that truly I tell you, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child, this child, he's had one sitting on his lap, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God loves children, he loves your children. He loves you, dear adult child. You are his. You're his child. And he loves you. And he cares for you. There may be a pattern, but it doesn't have to be permanent. It doesn't have to be permanent. Remember that scripture over in Exodus 20 and 4 through 6 a couple of weeks ago. It's the Ten Commandments. And we talked about the sins of the fathers, you know, being visited on the children's children. It went, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, here's another thing, context. This is written, yes, to us, but it was also written in the context of Israel having gone astray, gone astray, gone astray, gone astray. Every time Moses would leave and go off to the mountain, what would they do? Let's build a golden calf and let's, you know, let's watch porn. That's basically, and let's do this, you know, and then let's, let's do everything here. You know, they would just stray, stray, stray. And finally God, he's like, hey, hey, come on now. Come on. I'm jealous for you. I love you. You're mine. I want you for me. I don't want you shared with anybody else or anything else. You are mine. And when you do this, it puts, a, puts an ink stain right on the middle of your life that's passed right on down to your children and to your children's children. It's a pattern, but it's, it's not a promise. There are consequences for our, for our sins. There's no doubt about it. That's a part of us growing up. That's a part of us being mature people as we go in. Yep, it's true. You know what else is true? God is an amazing, forgiving, cleansing, empowering God. Who is out to break the bondage and break the chains of family curses and family uh, failures and all the sin, our weaknesses in certain areas. He wants us for himself. We are his children now. And he's at work in us to make that happen. But it doesn't just happen. We have to work with him. You know, I think a good example is like uh, during World War II or any war, actually. uh, Wars of our day or whatever. There are people within the countries of the offending nations who get hurt. And bear the brunt. Of much of the pain and sorrow. Of those within the country. Who started the war. True. 
I mean, I think of Germany. If you've watched any of the documentaries, I've watched that. And I mean, it's just heartbreaking. You have people who are there because of the Nazi work and all the... There were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who paid the price and they didn't have anything to do with it. Nothing. And, and it's kind of like a tumbleweed that, you know, we were out in Arizona a few years ago and we're going across the desert and, you know, we, I've never seen a tumbleweed being from the south, you know, and so, and here guys, I hope I see a tumbleweed, you know, and here comes one, you know, and it rolls across the road as everybody's doing 130 miles an hour across the desert, you know, and it goes by and it's just picking up stuff and slinging stuff. It's like as we roll through life, through generation to generation, we pick stuff up. And it's handed off and it's handed off again and again. And there are patterns. There are patterns. But look, that same scripture says this. But, don't ever forget the but. <laughs> like one of my favorite sayings is, but God. But God. But, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Two, three generations. Passed on. Mark, mark, mark. Thousands of generations. For those who make the decision to follow God. And to submit their lives to him. And to say, Lord teach me. How to live this life in a healthy way. So I can pass it on. And pass it on. And pass it on. It may be a pattern. But there's no promise. We can escape these curses we can escape the sins of the past and your last feeling is this and that is that it's presence not penance God is not out to make us pay penance for the sins of our parents he's not like that matter of fact let me read you just a couple of scriptures Ezekiel 18 4 says for everyone belongs to me the parents as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Not someone else, but they all belong to me. We're responsible for our own behavior. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Parents are not to be put to death for their children. Nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. We're all responsible for our own behavior. Each of us. So you got to read the whole Bible. You know, just take it all little pieces out. But this isn't saying we're held responsible for what our parents did. Or our great grandparents. But if we see patterns showing up in our life. God has given us the grace and the mercy. And the ability with the help from his word. From his spirit and from one another. I believe this. To change that. To wipe these marks out. To take them. To break the bondage. To break it all. Listen. Here you go. Good story. Let's put it. Can you put the chart back up there again? Just a second. See those colors? And my eyes are better. But they're not great here. But let's see. Do you see right along here? See Ahaz. It's that little small pink line. There's. Right here, it's like the next, uh, well anyway, it's right there. But there's one green bar underneath that. That's a guy named Hezekiah. You see, he's in the pink, right? Or he's in the green. So, let's, 
Let me read you something about Hezekiah. Hezekiah is Ahaz's son. Right? Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of his father David. See, this is, again, kind of cute. Didn't even mention Ahaz. Not in his father Ahaz, but in his great, 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 great granddaddy, David. You see this? You see how the blessings, like if we get serious with this thing of our emotional health, of how we live life, it's passed on to thousands of generations again and again and again. That does perpetuate itself. We can change this chain of curses or this chain that we feel like is around our family or you feel like you're under. God has come to break it in Jesus Christ. Break it. Ahaz. 2 Kings 18.5. Listen to Hezekiah. A little more about him. 2 Kings 18.5. Let me give you these so you can go read them. 2 Chronicles 29. 29. 1-2 was the first one. Because it didn't get in the handout. This was a PS that I added last night. So um, 2 Chronicles 29.29. Or 29.1-2. And then 2 Kings 18.5. Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And yet he had a corrupt granddad and a corrupt dad. This, this kind of ushered in a golden age for Israel right here with Hezekiah. Where things went well. And Hezekiah ruled at a time that wasn't real pleasant. The Syrians were on him. He had to deal with all these factions and things. But yet in the middle of this pattern. A son named Hezekiah says no more. I'm going to serve the Lord. My God. He tore down the high places. The false places, he tore them down. He opened the doors to the temple. And he called the people to worship. How many of you guys would say, make me a Hezekiah, Lord. Make me a Hezekiah. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.